Okay, today my guest is Professor Ursula Ott. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with her. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Ursula as a person, Professor Ott as a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally as a, a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of her accomplishments and give you a very quick uh, snapshot. Professor Ott was the Erwin Schrodinger Fellow at LSE. She serves on the board of the AIB Research Methods Shared Interest Group and is a vice president for webinars and PhD programs. She's responsible for organizing webinars on social science and COVID, multi-level methods and writing a convincing methodology section. She has won international prizes and best paper awards for the analysis of international negotiations with a game theoretical and configurational approach. At the 2019 AIB conference, she won the best research methods paper award. She also won the best paper award at the annual conference of Global Innovation and Knowledge Academy in 2015, the best paper award at the Reading UNCTAD International Business Conference in 2013. And she was an expert witness in the House of Lords regarding the Brexit uh, negotiations. Uh, thank you, Ursula, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, first question, uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? When I was a child, uh, I think I was living in uh, in a bubble more than uh, that I had clear vision on what I want to do. Uh, when I was a child, I really liked uh, Pippi Longstocking because she was very courageous. She was unconventional. She supported the weak. And that was something I just liked <laughs> as a child. <laughs> and, and in that sense, I didn't really have a fixed view. I was surrounded by, by strong women. And so that was nicely embedded, but I never wanted to say I wanted to be a doctor or I wanted to be this and that. It just came, I think, in the flow of events, just by choices I took in my life. I, I eventually ended up there very young now. But I think um, it's quite nice to look back and, and think uh, whether that person who wanted to be one day uh, someone unconventional and um, courageous uh, is still that person. And I think deep down, I still like uh, that I wanted that in, in my childhood to be people on stocking. And that, in that way, it's more, um, yeah, it's more about values and, uh, and ideas. And, yeah. uh, uh, super interesting. Uh, uh, can you pinpoint the earliest moment of awareness between foreign versus uh, domestic? That's an, uh, an interesting thing because uh, I grew up in the center, in the heart of Europe, in Austria, and we were surrounded by borders. And with that, you have different languages, you have different currencies, we have different currencies. And when I grew up, uh, we had... Uh, Swiss francs, we have German marks, but also uh, we always wanted to be uh, millionaires. And then you looked at it Italian lira and that was, uh, <laughs> you were very quickly a millionaire. <laughs> so in that sense, uh, it was very early on that we, we realized borders, but I think it was it was also that we had many cultures, many many languages. And, and I think this was a really great advantage. And sometimes the borders were just flowing and not anymore as stiff as you as you expected them uh, in in other in other contexts in other countries so how did you choose academia uh, this was very uh, very early actually when i started to study uh, that i enjoyed that 
process of thinking and reading and, and analyzing. So when I started at the University of Vienna, I wanted first to go into mathematics because I love that. And then I just realized, uh, and people came to answer, don't you think that will be very boring? <laughs> I just thought, um, yeah, maybe I find something that has math and stats and, and all that, but have a bit of exactly the cultural side, languages. So I, I chose economics with an international focus. And uh, through that, being at the university, uh, listening to people, coming into contact with fascinating people at the University of Vienna also, uh, that made me realize uh, actually that's what I want to do. I tried also to, to think maybe I go into management consulting or something like that, but realized that actually the freedom uh, which I which I have as an academic, um, I wouldn't have there. I could I could I could explore new ideas, new new thought process, go into this interdisciplinary ways of thinking, and that was something I was hoping to to do for my life. And actually, that's what I do. <laughs> Where did you do your PhD? I did my PhD at the University of Vienna. And um, that is some, uh, it's a place where you have loads of Nobel Prize winners. And when you go into the courtyard, you see all the busts of, of, of uh, statues of, of the Nobel Prize winners and big people, which is an interesting thing when you do your PhD, because it really puts you into place and, and you feel there are much more important people around and you have to to think and, and understand what they were doing so I think it was a very good uh, a very good way of, of learning to be modest and I think that's something I really like when coming into contact with people who have something to say or who had something to say as a as a young PhD student that I thought I just listen and find out what they have to say and yeah fortunately I, I was in a good in, in a good position there to to listen to fascinating people. Perfect. Uh, something that is not on your CV that people might find interesting. Um, I like to play the violin and um, I, I, I learned one saxophone but then I realized uh, deep down in my in, in my on my wish list is learning the violin. So I learned the violin really late, actually, and uh, because um, that uh, hindered me to be a virtuoso, <laughs> and for for that reason, I'm playing uh, folk music uh, in in little workshops. And now with lockdown, I was fortunate to do it online with a with a group of of eight violin players, and it was fun. Do you practice every day? Yeah, I do. And it's it's fascinating to uh, to be able to uh, to see the notes, to hear the music, and coordinate that. And uh, yeah, and I would love to play uh, grand symphonies, but I think that I'm too old for that now. <laughs> uh, there's actually something Heifetz. Uh, Heifetz actually uh, there was a master class, and everything he's saying. Uh, when he is teaching his master class, applies to our our field, our uh, our training. Mm -hmm. I was really fascinated to hear that. Um, if you stopped what you're doing today, what's the second best alternative career path for you? I think I would like to continue writing, but more uh, probably theater plays or screenplays, which would be uh, something uh, where I could explore stories and lives. And that's what I'm always interested in, in people and stories and lives. And so I think that that would be fascinating to, to do that. It will be. Uh, regrets. Have you got any regrets? 
No, actually, maybe maybe not to be a virtuoso musician. Maybe that <laughs> that is something. <laughs> that is probably something I would have always liked. I love to be um, in in between uh, classical music and and uh, I like classical in Vienna. Of course, you you're surrounded by classical music and theater. So I I just immerse in that. And maybe I regret being not able to be part of an orchestra. I think that's deep down probably something. That's holding you back. It's it's not too late. You can always do that. Yeah, but I think I think uh, I mean I can do it for fun, but not not as a as a as a musician. Yeah, sure. I, mean, I mean knowing how difficult a musician's life is, I think I probably have a better a better one now, because being in auditions is not fun. <laughs> that is true, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, review process reminds me of the same thing. But uh, what are you most proud of? I think I'm I'm most proud of being able to reach people from all different cultures and uh, being able to to see uh, people in in their own context and uh, and value them the way they are and going beyond boundaries. And now with the webinars, I'm really glad that uh, we can reach people with, with thoughts, with, with possibilities. And yes, in my, in my research center, I'm, I'm very proud that I have people from all cultures, from all backgrounds and working together on, on a regular basis. During lockdown, we had weekly meetings just to keep everyone going that people are not lost and lonely. And, and that opened up so many possibilities. And I think that is something I always wanted to do. And I'm proud that I can, I can work with people mm-hmm. and, and, and help their careers also. Uh, after COVID, after, the, uh, after things open up, uh, are you looking forward to it? Or uh, do you prefer the uh, remote Zoom world? I mean, it's an interesting one. I do prefer being with people, of course, <laughs> uh, just having a, a clear interaction. But uh, we would have not it as easy as we can reach now people, for instance, that we can talk to people in, in, in Australia, in New Zealand, and at the same time also, and avoiding travel. Uh, and, and yeah, and with all the climate change situations, probably uh, it, it's, a, it's a carbon footprint better way but I think uh, it's nice to be at conferences and I think that is something we miss deep down not to be able just to have a coffee with someone and talking and, and being just in a in a relaxed atmosphere also and and, and yeah and also in the in, in the seminars directly and listening to sessions that's different sure. uh, let's switch to uh, research uh, Say you're stranded in a small village in a pub. Uh, locals don't know about you. They are curious what you do. Uh, how do you explain your research and how do you explain the importance of your research to people who don't read your work? So um, I would try to first find out what the people's professions are. Uh, and in that small pub, you will probably have different professions. And then I would try to, to explain to them that I'm observing how people negotiate, how people make decisions, how people uh, deal with conflict and also cooperation. And then would probably try to give examples of, of what, how countries, whether they live within a country and with other countries, how the negotiations would work. Um, yeah, and, and I would try to make it as, uh, as easy as possible for them to understand. I mean, yeah, that's probably uh, 
one of the things. I mean, I had, uh, in, in a funny way, I had to do something similar when I was uh, on the way to a conference and I was asked uh, what I'm doing in, for a taxi driver. And, um, and I said, I'm, I'm in international business. And then he said to me, so you can explain Brexit to me. And I said, yeah, I could try that. And I started to explain what I'm doing. <laughs> and then he got out of the car and uh, I thought, oh my God, now, now I don't know what he's going to do. And then he came and he shook the hand and he said, this was so well explained. If I had known that, I would have never voted for Brexit. <laughs> and so this, <laughs> this was this was one of the of if the situations where I just thought, oh, I, we should we should try to explain that what we're doing to people who who are, are so far removed from from what we're doing. And um, I think I enjoyed actually um, the way to explain it in a in a. In a, in a way that it has an impact on people's lives. So that is something I think that would, that would be important for, for my research. Interesting. Um, what are some of the omitted contexts or concepts, uh, variables in IB research that we should be uh, maybe covering more of? I think um, we, if we go into in, into other disciplines, there we would find lots of variables which we haven't discovered in IB. And um, I mean, I give an example, for instance, with agency theory. I mean, I've done a lot of agency theory. And when I was at the LSE, um, I was really pleased to be around all those great thinkers in, in, in that way and going back into the roots of agency theory where you have actually game theoretical problems of information asymmetries. And what I find up uh, some, sometimes when I read papers in IB, when uh, when you have the whole thing, what they have done at the end, uh, they write down, we have just solved the agency problem. And then I go back and I just think, uh, no, actually, there is something missing. <laughs> actually, you forgot the information asymmetry it's not a motivation problem and uh actually uh there is a tension between it and uh and it is an an interactive decision problem and if you can't bring that out uh then it's difficult and i think uh there is much much more what we can do in IB in terms of information using that um yeah I mean, fascinating uh, more in terms of risk analysis also. I think that is often not so prominent because, uh, yeah, we are, we are dealing with uncertainty and risk and, and that's a big, big uh, issue at the moment also in IB. Uh, about creativity, uh, in your opinion, how should new uh, young scholars uh, approach scholarship so that they uh, can come up with these interesting papers, uh, interesting ideas. Uh, what's the source of creativity for, uh, from your perspective? I think um, what I find creative is often that you look outside the trodden path, that you, that you um, dare to go into other disciplines and start new again, because that's what I found fascinating when I was uh, Schrödinger's uh, fellow at the LSE, I was able to go uh, into the math department, into the economics department, I was into the anthropology, and, um, and I was listening to what the scholars there said, what they had to say. And through that, I realized, uh, oh, there is something which we haven't explored, for instance, culture in, 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 an, in a different way. 
for bringing it together. And I know economists never think about culture as an important thing, uh, but I thought culture is an important thing. So uh, using it together with game theory was fascinating to explore. And I, and I think that is something, um, but it is also that you need to be courageous because uh, no one likes uh, starting from scratch again in another discipline or being just uh, like a toddler learning a language again. And that is something which I find uh, we need to do because we, we, we bring in knowledge into IB, but then we are also able to export knowledge because that's an important one uh, for us as, as, a, as a field, but also to to link to, to big uh, disciplines back and forth. So, and there was creativity also to, to understand and to explain that. That was a very good answer. Uh, if I may follow up on uh, culture in terms of uh, game theory, uh, how would it uh, look like? What would it look like? Um, that's uh, culture is in game theory because game theory is a part of uh, decision analysis. So when you have decision, you make an individual decision. In game theory, you have an interactive decision. So I know that you know that I know is in game theory that you basically try to understand what your partner is doing. Uh, when you have uh, perfect information, that's like you play chess, you know what the other one is doing. But when you play, po play poker, then you do not know the strategies. And uh, the assumption of culture in, in game theoretical behavior is that you, that you assume that culture is not something stable, that you do not have rational behavior in culture because you have emotional situations and that different cultures behave in a different way according to their upbringing, to their learning. And um, I find it fascinating not to take everything on face value that I just say, because you are coming from that culture, you have to behave in that way. We are so surprised. And I found with experiments, I found it absolutely fascinating and surprising that you have uh, an assumption about something or someone, how someone behave, and then you get the surprises. And uh, that is something which, uh, which I think where we can come in this culture because culture is dynamic, it changes. And we change with this culture, with adaptation, with migration, with learning, being student in one context, being an academic in another context, or, or this kind of thing. And, and I think in, in, in decision-making, uh, we, uh, we need to adapt to different cultures. We can't just take it as fa at face value that everyone is rational. Interesting. Uh, if a patient comes to you and says, uh, you know, I'm looking for uh, interesting, uh, great ideas to build my career on for the next five to 10 years, uh, what was the advice you give to them for a research topic uh, that you think is going to be spectacular in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I mean, we are living in spectacular times, let's face that. <laughs> we are living in times where we are uh, IB scholars. As an IB scholar, you want to, to go across boundaries. We have our systems, we have our production systems, we have our uh, international transport systems working like organisms. And at the same time, with COVID, we were reduced to being in our own boundaries. And, um, and we need new things to think about. We need new ways of adapting to a changing world in terms of employment. We have different uh, migrants uh, and in, in, the, in the same way, uh, 
are there still going to be migrants or not? Of course, I mean, we have 100,000 years of migration and totally forgotten about that. And therefore, we will migrate uh, or we have migration going on at different levels. And I think these are really important questions for the next five to 10 years, so even, even more on how we, how we work, how we adapt to, to changes and how, how we are as human beings um, living with other human beings in, in, a, in a sustainable and uh, morally positive, constructive way. I think that is, these are really important questions. And if we crack these, uh, we live on a planet which, which has something to offer, but uh, we have constraints and we need to think about this. Uh, Ursula, what can you say about the culture of scholarship in Ivy and how it evolved over, uh, over time and uh, where we're headed to? Especially, uh, this is important for you to comment on because you're coming from a different ecole. Um, and um, difference between the American way of thinking to scholarship, especially in Ivy, versus the European and Central European uh, what can you say about the evolution uh, that we're going through? I mean, um, I think the evolution of uh, IB follows uh, the political circumstances, follows the economic circumstances. Uh, and interestingly, when you look back into, uh, in, into an evolutionary process of IB, uh, those scholars in the early days responded to the challenges of these days. Um, we, we went on and had new things coming up. We had globalization coming up. We had uh, interesting ways of dealing with, uh, with, with challenging challenges. And we always responded to that. So uh, in that sense, uh, IB was more a response uh, scholarly to what has been there. Often theories were there and were taken on and, uh, and uh, adapted to the situation. And I found that very fascinating to, to start with. Then I saw the changes and the adaptation to the multinational enterprises and China and all, all these differences came into play. And it is much more now um, a transnational uh, way of, of being. But I think in the next few years, we will see another load of changes coming our way, new terms evolving, new theories evolving. And I think that that is something to see it in a, in, in a more um, interdisciplinary way, in a more um, uh, adapted way to, to the challenges. And I think that that was IB before, and it always will be uh, a field which deals with uh, adapting to, to our environment, international business environment. Very well put, thank you. Um, about advice and mentoring section, for the sake of time, I'm going to go to this one. Um, who, who was your advisor when you were going to the program? Um, I, and I, I would advise... Uh, no, who was your advisor? Who advised oh, you? I, I, I said I'm, I'm advising. Um, my advisor, I mean, it, I didn't have a real advisor. I had a supervisor in, in for my PhD and uh, who was, funny enough, uh, dean at the Frankfurter Schule when uh, Adorno and Habermas and Luhmann and these uh, very influential people were there. But he then moved away. And um, I think what he 
wanted me to do is to think broad and think uh beyond the boundaries. And I think um, all the way along, I had lots of people and I was glad to see various different people giving good advice. So for instance, uh, I had an economist giving advice uh, on, on how to, to, to work uh, in, in common agency across, but then also in IB and, and I have to say, um, Mark Kesson gave me a very good advice in, in uh, 20 years ago, uh, when he said, try to have, uh, and that's for, and that is now advice for PhD students I give also, uh, try to fit in every day, at least half an hour of research, whatever you do, whether you do admin, whether you teach. And I think uh, this is something I, I take on very, very, very seriously. And I give it also to my PhD students, to my colleagues, uh, try to keep it going, because that is something which keeps your passion going. And you're not, not getting out of it, because you, you do something with your brain, you do something in thinking, and bring something further. So I what think are that's so, uh, such a very, very good advice. And uh, Nikolai mm. also talks about pretty much the same thing. He says, like, I write every day, I write at least 600, 800 words every day. That's actually quite uh, effective. Uh, to keep the engine running, uh, yeah. even if the mind isn't uh, 100% focused. Uh, about uh, Ursula, about the common mistakes that you see junior faculty or uh, patients uh, usually run into make, um, uh, what are some of the mistakes that, uh, that you see that they are doing that you will say don't do it? Yeah, I mean, uh, from P with PhD students, I would say uh, to narrow down far too quickly into something very, very narrow. So when when I have my my PhD viva, I had three vivas because we in in at the Vienna Vienna University of Vienna, you had in economics, in sociology, and in management, and uh, and I and you had to defend your thesis in into each of these uh, disciplines that you have to say what you contribute. And I, I think sometimes uh, it is too, uh, too small what people are doing, too small what the focus is and not seeing actually the bigger picture, where does it fit? Uh, and also is, is, uh, is it something which you, which you want to, to, to continue afterwards? So do you finish it off or have you have you lost the passion for your research? And therefore start with something you really like. That's what I would say to everyone. Because for a PhD, there will be ups and downs and every PhD has that. And the one thing which keeps you going is the passion for your subject. And I've seen that now when I was director of the PhD program, I had often uh, discussions with students who, who dropped in, in, in their in, in their yeah, in, in their enthusiasm. And then I asked, why did you start it? What did you like? Where was the passion? And uh, and then talking for an hour or so, they come back and say, that's why I started it. And therefore choose something where you have a passion for, what, what you like doing and, and something which might be really outrageous. And no one would think that this is an interesting topic. In 50 years, that might be something on book and we don't know. And so that's with impact. We don't know what in 50 years will come out and will have an impact. We don't sure. at this point in time. Uh, about the skills uh, or tool sets uh, that people need to develop harbor, um, uh, which skill sets are the most difficult to, to build or acquire? <laughs> I mean, it depends on, on, your, on your background, on your talents and so on. Some people would say it's very difficult to do math. 
Uh, math is a language. Uh, if you if you don't see it that way and it's hard work, that would be a hard skill to do. But if you like it, you don't find it hard. You might then find it hard to write. So that's something. Sometimes these big things is either uh, doing the technical things, they can be hard and difficult to learn. On the other hand, it could also be very hard to write and writing is also a skill and has to be learned. And people uh, like myself is a second language, where English is a second language. Um, this is something you have to practice. You have to, to read a lot of papers, a lot of things, and into, in, into understanding uh, that the writing skill is also a very important one. And a good copy so. editor. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Ursula, this was very good. Um, uh, what's the question that I should have asked you about heaven? Um, yeah. Um, how um, how we as IB scholars uh, would want to integrate um, the different uh, disciplines more that people can understand each other much better. I mean, I find it often very sad that uh, mathematical uh, things need to go into the appendix when you write something for IB. And uh, is there something, I mean, you're working now with the webinars to bring uh, people, the skill sets out there. But I think um, how, how can we as scholars help to integrate and understand each other much more than we do at the moment? Because I think there are lots of gaps and they need to be filled to have a, a smoother way, a stronger, robust way for IB to, to stand the ground uh, in comparison to other disciplines. I think that is something that we need to, uh, yeah, ask ourselves what we can do. So uh, very shortly, uh, in the research methods uh, interest group, for instance, or the yeah. webinars that you're organizing, uh, what are some of the ideas to help build a trajectory towards this integration uh, what are you guys doing uh, to to formulate? Yeah, we are working very hard uh, with all those experts in the call, in the quants part, in working towards uh, ethical, responsible research methods, data collection in a responsible way. So we have these fascinating ways that we can bring in together and bring it outside from the theoretical, from the research method side, from the research design, what kind of questions do we ask? I think that is a very important part, uh, research questions. What research questions do we ask and what kind of methods do we then need to use? And uh, going away from this silo thing, thinking that here is the qual person and this qual person can only do qual for the rest of their lives or the cons person only cons for the rest of their life. I think we need to think integrated in a way that we can have the question and then with the question, we have the tools. And that is something what I would also suggest for the skills. We need to bring out skills which are not one dimensional. We need to bring it together because the questions which we need to ask, ask for answers on a bigger scale than just a, a very myopic way of dealing with it. And I think that has changed also and we need to do that in IB much, much more. Uh, Ursula, thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Likewise, I enjoyed it very much.